Welcome to the Korean American Parenting Podcast, where we share the idiosyncrasies, struggles, joys, and pains of being a Korean American parent, not just Korean or American, navigating the unique cross cultural challenges of parenthood. I'm Jerry. And I'm Jang. Join us each week as we chat with fellow parents and parenting experts about topics like academics, health, both physical and mental, and culture. And of course, how current events such as COVID has impacted all our lives in numerous ways. Our hope is that through these conversations, we'll grow together as confident Korean American parents raising confident Korean American children. Make sure you're subscribed to the podcast and follow us on Instagram at Korean American Parenting. And be sure to share this with a fellow parent if you find the show helpful. Thanks again for tuning in. And here now is this week's episode. Hey, everybody, welcome back to Korean American Parenting. And it is now, should be now, it is now, New Year's on both calendars. And so uh, for a while, we said Happy New Year and then early Happy New Year. But Happy New Year to everybody who celebrated on the Gregorian and the lunar calendar. So to everybody listening, wherever you are. And um, we just wanted to uh, welcome you to the new year. And as you have been hearing uh, this month here on our show, we are touching on parenting topics and talking to our friends in the space of dealing with tiny people. And so it's a very relevant uh, topic to me. Uh, my older is four. My second will be two very soon. And so uh, we're talking to friends to learn more about how we can all be better parents, learn new skills and learn about new resources so that we can raise really awesome, amazing uh, confident, happy, and, and badass Korean American children. And so today's guest is helping along the same mission. And uh, while we are in here in a podcast format, in a more audio format, our guest today is on YouTube, uh, really cherishing the video format with um, a lot of the beautiful things. So to tell us a little bit more about today's guest, here is Jang. Hi, everybody. Happy New Year. Um, so today's guest, I'm a fangirl. <laughs> um, my husband and I used to be um, an avid um, watcher of Anthony, Anthony Bourdain's show. And when um, her, sh um, her show, Uri show came on, I was like, I know this woman. <laughs> um, so today's uh, guest I'm excited to uh, introduce you is Nari from Uri show. Um, I uh, as usual, I'm going to let Nari um, introduce herself um, and talk about herself and her uh, show. Great. Well, thank you for having me, guys. And to you guys and to all your listeners, uh, 2020 was tough. So I'm really excited for 2021. Um, so, yeah, thank you guys for having me. Um, so, yeah, I my name is Nari Kai or Kenari. And I think... Um, I don't know, my mission in life is to promote Korean language and culture in America. Um, I've always had a really strong passion and desire to do it uh, ever since I was younger. Um, I grew up, like a lot of Korean Americans, um, as an immigrant, I was born in Korea and I moved to the States when I was five years old um, to a very white, <laughs> suburban New Jersey neighborhood um, surrounded by all white people. Um, but in our home, um, we only spoke Korean. We only ate Korean food. We watched Korean television. We listened to Korean music. It was like little Korea in this very, very white town. Um, and I, I, I hated it when I was growing up. It was mortifying. And I just wanted to fit in and be like everyone else, all my white friends named Jenny and Erin and Jessica. Um, so it was, it, was a tough, it was a tough upbringing. But it wasn't until later... Um, I went to film school and I graduated and I got to meet Anthony Bourdain, 
Um, I got to work with him for 15 years before he passed away. And he really, um, he really changed my life. Uh, so early on, I got to have, I was lucky enough to be able to go to Korea with him and have an episode centered around my family, uh, my grandfather and my father's side and his heroic journey from the North during the war to the South and kind of everything else that happened from there. So that uh, episode and that trip fundamentally changed me as a person. And it really opened my eyes to the fact that my Korean heritage is single-handedly the most defining characteristic of who I am. Um, it's really, really important to me, even before <clears throat> any other characteristic, even, even before I'm a wife, I'm a mother, you know, an American, I, this Korean heritage that I have is the most important thing in my life. So for me, that opened, uh, you know, a whole new chapter of my life. And then I had my first child. And that was another huge milestone. I realized that I wanted him to be proud of his heritage and know the importance of his background and his roots. And I wanted to do it in a fun, engaging way rather than how I grew up learning Korean, which was in a basement of a Korean church on Sundays when all my friends were playing soccer and gymnastics, going swimming. I was like, bye guys, I get to go to Korean school in a basement for five <laughs> hours and get yelled at by Korean teachers. It was awful. So many tears, like shouting. I hated it. It was awful. So for me, I knew that this was exactly the opposite and not to say that it doesn't work because, you know, I learned Korean. I mean, I was going to say your Korean is great. So it yeah. did work. It did work. But I, I owe that a lot to my parents because we lived in an immersive household and I can talk more about that later. But um, I, I, it was just really not fun. You know, I really hated it and I dreaded it every weekend. So for me, for my son and my children, I knew I needed to make this, you know, fun for them and I, and something that was exciting, something that they were proud of and they wanted to share with their non-Korean friends. So I wanted to take that approach. That was, that was number one. I had to make it fun. I had to make it engaging, not just for the kids, but for the entire family. And with my production background in film and television, my bar was set really high. You know, I was going towards Sesame Street. You know, I wanted it to look really good. I wanted the music to be high quality and I wanted it to be super, super um, entertaining, but also educational for the entire family. Because really, the learning of language comes from people, so from human to human, and you're not really going to learn language from listening to, you know, audio tapes or watching something on the television. You learn language from other humans. So for me, I wanted people to watch Uri Show as a family. And then take it, take the learning and continue it offline. So I really needed people to be singing the songs at home and to be talking about the different things they saw on Uri Show in their real life situations during dinner or at that time or in the bath. So I wanted it to be a fluid, um, almost a lifestyle program so that it just seeped into every, you know, aspect of daily life. So yeah, in a nutshell. I think that's awesome, Nari. I, I, you know, um, you know, I, I think for some of us listening, um, especially in, in our generation, you know, the person that you work with is an icon, is a legend, right? And and you know, we wish he he was still here and kept continuing to tell stories, but he he left us so much to uh, 
watch and then to consume. Um, you just gla- you just glazed over and you said, "Oh, I met Anthony." Like, can you can you tell us that story? And then more into, and then you mentioned that you realized working through him that you're right. Your Korean identity was your most defining thing. Was there something that was was there a light bulb moment? Was it gradual? And then what happened between then, which was a little while ago, into like how did that sort of or, you know, sort of percolate or marinate in your mind over the last 10, 15 years in, until you actually decided this is how I want to create something to have that all come out. Yeah. So, yeah, I did kind of like, whoosh, like I, I know Tony and here I am. Um, so, yeah, meeting Tony, and I remember this very clearly, my boss is, so I, I, I went to film school. I went to NYU film school. I graduated. I knew I wanted to be an auteur. I want to be a filmmaker, you know. Um, I wanted to move to Paris and write and do all these things. I met um, the two, the couple that started a production company called Zero Point Zero Production. And I worked with them on a really horrific, like, rehab show called 28 Days in Rehab. It was like women screaming about how they hit their fathers, being like, you know, falling off the wagon, drinking scope in like their storage. Like, uh, it was awful. It was so awful. And I was like, well, I'm done. Never working in TV again. Like, forget this. And Chris and Lydia were like, Hey, you know, you're really great. Uh, we're starting this new company with this guy named Anthony Bourdain. We're going to have a travel channel show where he goes all over the world and eats food and learns about different cultures. And I was like, I don't know. Like I want to make films. <laughs> They're like, just come along, just come along. If you don't like it, you can always leave. Just let's see how it goes. So I was like, all right. So I joined them at zero point zero production. The first time I met Tony, Chris was like, hey, no matter, don't, no matter what you do, don't look him in the eyes. I was like, what? <laughs> How do I talk to someone without looking them in the eyes? And then right before he walks in, Chris was like, I'm just joking. He's like totally normal. Um, and, but he wasn't normal. He was the most <laughs> extraordinary human I had ever met. You know, he's super tall, very big, um, has this grand presence, both physically and intellectually and everything else. He is the funniest most loyal, kindest, um, just the funniest guy I've ever met. I mean, really, all those qualities, you'll never find another Anthony Bourdain. And trust me, like, we've been solicited. Our production company has been solicited. It's like, I'm Anthony Bourdain of da-da-da. You know, every one of their grandmothers wants to be the next Anthony Bourdain. But you know what, guys? Everyone's out of luck because there was only one of him, and he will never be replaced. He was truly, truly, truly a unique individual. Um, Super amazing. So yeah, I got to meet him uh, early on in my career and, you know, we had a rap party for season one of No Reservations and I was the production manager at the time. So like one of the things I got to do was plan rap parties and I was like, well, we're going to go eat Korean barbecue and drink lots of soju. (laughs) So we went to K-Town in Manhattan. We went to a restaurant and Tony came. And, you know, back then everyone smoked cigarettes. So we were outside, like drunk off of soju, smoking a cigarette. And I was like, Tony, you have to come to Korea. Like, it's going to be amazing. <laughs> we have the best food. It's so much fun. And he was like, okay, well, you're going to come with me. And I was like, ah, sure. And then like a week later, he comes into the office and he was like, hey, Nari, you should really start planning that Korea episode that, you know, we're going to go visit your grandfather and, you know, your family's going to be on it. I was like, What? So, you know, I got to plan this trip with an amazing team. Uh, We went to Korea and we started filming right out of the gate at the airport. And we got to go to the DMV. We got to have meals with my grandfather and my family. 
it was truly a monumental experience for me. And like I said, um, when we came back, when we were editing the show, I had no idea how it was going to be received. Um, so when it premiered, I saw the episode and back then there wasn't really like Twitter or social media was just starting. And so like a lot of the stuff, the comments were being left on YouTube, like someone illegally posted on YouTube the videos of the show. And there was like hundreds of comments. And I would say like 90% of them were really positive. Like, oh my gosh, like what an amazing show. Like, I'm so happy that you're promoting Korean culture in America this way with Tony, blah, blah, blah. But then like 10% of it was really nasty and really, really like it made me cry. Um, so I told Tony this and he was like, look, all those people, they're just haters. You know, you did an amazing thing. And this is like who you are. You know, the fact that you're an outsider makes you special. You know, your heritage makes you special. And so kind of that, like you said, Jerry, like that light bulb moment was kind of that conversation that I had with Tony, of course, the whole experience leading up to it as well. But him just explaining to me, you know, the truth that I always knew that this kind of thing that made me feel ostracized was what made me special and made me who I am. So it really helped me celebrate all aspects of my heritage and my roots. Um, that one experience kind of unlocked it, I would say. It wasn't that it wasn't there, that I didn't know it. He really helped me open it up and see that, you know, I had this like treasure, you know, this really, really special thing in my life um, that not everyone has. So it really um, revealed that his, his experience with me revealed that to me. So I will be um, eternally grateful for, for what he taught me and that experience and how I grew as a person. So that was, you know, a long time ago. I was like a baby. <laughs> um, and then fast forward all those years, I got to do many, many other projects with him. I got to travel to amazing places and have the most incredible food um, and really grow more as a, you know, person in production, as a storyteller, um, but also as a human in general. You know, I got to see so much and learn so much from different people. And all those experiences, you know, and then I got to do a film with Tony as well called Wasted, the story of food waste, where we explored creative solutions to food waste um, all over the world. And we got to go to Korea, Japan, to Europe, and all these different places. And it was a super, um, it was an incredibly, uh, it was a huge learning experience. And the fact that I got to do that again with Tony was, you know, it was a cherry on top. So that was a really, really amazing experience that I got to have with him. The last one that I got to have with him, unfortunately. Um, and then around that time was when I had my first child. So again, all of this, you know, my professional experience and all of my childhood growing up really culminated in when I had my first child, my son. Um, and then I knew the instant that I got pregnant that I was like, well, better spruce up your Korean and get those songs out and get the books out because this kid is going to be like the most Korean kid in America. <laughs> and I was lucky because, you know, my parents forced me to speak Korean at home. So I speak pretty fluently to the fact, you know, to the point where when I go to Korea and I work professionally there, most people don't know that I'm from America right away. Um, although my education level is definitely capped out around like third grade, you know, it's like, obviously I can read and write, but I'm not 
you know, I, I wouldn't say the level is like up until like middle school. So um, I'm fluent in Korean. So I'm thankful for my parents for that. And I had my mom nearby. So she was obviously a huge resource. And, you know, growing up in Korea, you're surrounded by a lot of your your family members. And I know that in America, it's a lot harder because the country is so big and we're split up most of the time. But I had my mom living close to us ever since my son was born. So she was a huge resource in speaking the language at home, but also exposing him to all the food and the culture. Um, so yeah, my, my son being born was, was the moment, was the moment. And then, you know, when he became two, I knew that I needed a community. You know, I couldn't do this by myself. And I couldn't do it with just my family. And I wanted him to have exposure and hear other grownups, other kids, you know, people that he admired and he liked speaking Korean and doing Korean cultural things together. So this was another aha moment when I was like, you know what, I'm just going to create this community for myself and for the people around me. And so I created Uri School. So Uri School Brooklyn was created and we met once a week. For one hour and we would sing songs in Korean, we would have Korean food and snacks and we would have story time in Korean and we would just play and have fun um, with the language and the culture. And it really took off, you know, like we, we had a lot of kids come through that program and a lot of them, a lot of the parents were like, this is working. <laughs> My kid is singing in Korean at home. So I just, I got to experience that firsthand. And to literally, you know, be able to speak to these kids and have them speak it back to me, it was incredibly rewarding. And so I knew that this worked, you know, immersion and speaking to the kids, singing with the kids, you know, making the stories fun and something that they're into, this works, you know, and the earlier you do it, the better the results. I, I think your story is quite amazing because, um, uh, you, you know, you, your story, going back with Tony, um, there was that perspective change on who you are because you, what you what you are and who you are didn't change. Your perspective on that has changed, and I think that's really kind of. I think a lot of us have that moment <laughs> where we're trying to figure it out. I think from our last um, guest, um, Sandy, who's also doing a lot of bilingual um, teaching for her children, was telling us that. Um, you know, having the bicultural, cross-cultural um, experience as a child is um, is very fortunate, right? It's, it's it's something that is gifted to a child that not everybody has. And I, I think that was kind of an aha moment for me because I never thought of it as something fortunate. I always thought of it as a challenge, <laughs> right? Um, like trying to navigate the two cultures and how do I fit in, but where... She turned around and said, well, this is your luck to have this in your life. And I think that's what you're doing by uh, spreading that fortune to all the children um, around you and making the community. I think that's just um, so amazing that you're actually putting that into action. Thank you. I'm actually selling it as a superpower to my child and my children. <laughs> I'm like, dude. Not everyone can do this. Like you can go to Korea and you can talk to people, you know, and how many people, especially in America, can say that. So actually one of the kids that came to Uri school, um, she taught, she, she called it a secret language because only her mom and her spoke it and no one else in their lives spoke it until they came to Uri school. So yeah, it is, it is great fortune. It is great luck. It is a superpower. I mean, like 
the fact that you can speak two different languages and understand two different languages, the fact that you can sing in two languages and read stories in two languages. I mean, this is a great, great fortune and, and power that we are trying to instill in our kids. And I think we all need help. You know, like I can't do it alone. You guys can't do it alone. We need a community, you know? And I think, you know, when I was growing up, I went to church <laughs> a lot. <laughs> um, and so I had an automatic community there. I was surrounded by Korean Americans. I heard Korean. We ate tons of Korean food all the time, even outdoors and public places, much to my shame. <laughs> um, so we, I had that growing up. I think a lot of people, maybe our generation, are um, don't have that community as much. I know a lot of probably your viewers and listeners um, still go to a church, but I don't go to church anymore. And for me, it was important to form that community. And I wanted Uri Show to be a hub. You know, I wanted us to be a point where we can all get together, talk about how to, you know, like you guys said, raise like super awesome, optimistic Korean American kids that are proud of their heritage and their language. So I really wanted us to be a resource, but also a way for us to um, form a, a community that wasn't there before. But And I wanted to add one more thing before I forget. Um, Another big part of Uri Show is for um, for my kids to not be embarrassed of their heritage, what they look like, what they sound like. And I want them to go into any room in the world, not just in America, and be like, I'm Korean American and I'm totally the greatest, you know? So for me, growing up in a very white neighborhood, I was I faced tons of racism, you know? Like I was called all kinds, like we got prank calls all the time from my who I thought were my friends. Um, you know, I was always teased and made fun of. And boy, there was a lot of anger and a lot of tears and a lot of shame, you know, growing up. And that was, again, another thing that I wanted to prevent with my kids and their childhood. I wanted them to have the opposite um, experience, something that they wanted to lead with and to talk about with other people. Yeah, no, I think that's actually uh, the key point of the Uri show that is um, making it kind of part of part of just culture in general, right? That we're not outsiders. We're just part of America. I think that's what it is. And I think the, the thing I really like about Uri show is, so, yeah, you know, like I, I get questions about like, well, are there Korean shows that little kids can watch, right? Um, to learn about Korean and all this stuff. But, um, and I grew up with them, like, and like, but I was in Korea and that is made for children in Korea, right? Um, Sesame Street is made for children in America, but maybe not so much <laughs> of culture in there for us. And so uh, for, for you to make the Woody show, and the, the thing that I like the most about it is that it kind of combines the two cultures, but but it's quite uniquely Korean American. Yeah, and absolutely. I think that is very important to me as a mother that my child feels proud as a Korean American and have that sense of identity um, very rooted in her. Yeah, I wanted to not just normalize it because that's huge, right? Like I wanted Korean to just be a part of life, not just yes. like a secret language, like one of my students said. Um, or something that was bizarre and unique. I mean, it is, but I also wanted it to just be very, very uh, part of daily life, 
you know, something that my kids were just like, it's very fluid to go between English and Korean and feel both Korean and American at the same time. So I really wanted Uri Show to celebrate that. And the fact that I wanted it to be at the level of Sesame Street, but geared towards um, our audience, you know, Korean Americans or people who just want to celebrate Korean culture with us. So that was, um, that was really the goalpost for us is making it super, super high production value um, and celebrate our unique Korean American journey because there's nothing like it in the world. You know, there's people in Canada or Koreans in Canada are different from Koreans <laughs> in America. So I wanted us to be able to tell our story um, with the people, with the community that and the community of artists, musicians and production and film people um, that I've been fortunate enough to be surrounded with. Uh, so I really wanted to kind of bring us all up together and show our kids that Korean language and culture is something very much a part of our lives and can be normal and should be celebrated because it's so beautiful. I, I think it, it is beautiful, Nari, because I think we, we talk often on the show sort of the evolution of um, what we went through. And there was a lot of pressure or expectation that we assimilate, that we try to be, um, or our parents wanted to be um, as American as possible, um, which also was code word for try to blend in with the dominant white culture as much as possible. And um, don't be so Korean, right? And even our own peers made fun of us for like, you know, you're you're a American. Why are you being so Korean? And there was a lot of even inter-Korean shaming of, you know, calling us names that were uh, not derogatory, but they made it derogatory as it relates to our, our Korean heritage. And I think once we all became parents, we're like, that was a really crappy way to raise us. Because like I was born in Korea, I came here when I was eight. So like I had the language, I had the culture. And so like I had a lot more confidence in who I was at my, like you said, my fundamental identity. But a lot of my friends didn't. And I think even both at home and amongst your peers, we were shamed or punked into not celebrating that. And uh, two things happened, I think, for all of us. Korea itself just got really popular. And so there was a lot of pride, of healthy pride, of music and food and, you know, K-pop and the dramas and like, you know, just Korea became a more global entity. And then too, when we all became kids, we just had this moment of, well, now what? Right? Like, what? Do, how do we raise these kids? How much Korean do you want them to speak versus not? And, you know, even my kid, he, he goes, I'm not Korean, I'm English. And I was like, all right, well, there's a problem with English, but <laughs> if, I, if we have to explain to a four-year-old why the American language is English, we get into a different kind of history lesson. But, you know, like, how do we, and, and I think shows like yours is, is spawning the entire movement of our entire generation of parents just taking this challenge by our own hands and saying, nothing exists. Our parents didn't leave us good resources or... Um, Folks in Korea are not going to make content that's for us. And similar to what we're doing on this show, you know, the market may not be as big as the market for a CNN or a travel show. However, it's meaningful because it's for us and it's meaningful because it's for our kids. And even from a economics perspective, it's big enough because we are also becoming more popular with people outside of our direct community. And so whether they are uh, parents of adopted Korean kids or uh, folks in, you know, uh, multicultural family households, I, I think it's really, really wonderful. Share with us a little bit about your long-term vision of the Udi show. How do you want it to evolve uh, 
beyond the current format of uh, it being you know on YouTube? And how do you want the folks to engage with you? Obviously, COVID happened and it had to be on YouTube. But you know, you had some in-person experiences. Now you're purely digital. Tell us about your your future with the Woody Show. Yeah, so it started because I knew that the shift from in-person learning onto a production um, you know platform right now it is YouTube. I knew that shift had to happen because I wanted to reach a bigger audience. I can't be in multiple places at once, but that still being the most effective way to teach young children language, again, is from, for humans to talk to the little kids in person. So I hope that someday that Uri Show could be a live show where we can all come together and sing songs together and have fun together in person. Uh, but that's probably like phase five in Uri Show right now where um, like you guys said, we're on YouTube and I'm trying to do monthly episodes that are about 10 to 15 minutes long. And I know that short sounds like a, such a short amount of time, but it is a lot of a work. Lot of work. <laughs> and I know you guys know this because you make podcasts, but it is immense. Um, the amount of work that it goes into one minute of uh, television production. So um, I'm doing it with a small team. I have a great board that helps me um, and guides me along the way. And right now we're community funded. So we are accepting donations, small and large. Um, we are in the process of becoming a 501c3, which is a nonprofit organization. Uh, so hopefully we can apply for grants and bigger um, amounts of money that will keep us sustaining and going well into the future. So my hope is to um, basically expand on the model right now. So right now, like I said, we have a month. Uh, monthly episodes that air once a month. I hope to make those longer and more frequent and hopefully get them onto a, maybe a bigger platform when we're ready, whether that's a streaming platform like Netflix or Amazon, or whether we become an app. I'm not quite sure, but for me, it's really uh, making it easy and accessible for our viewers. So right now YouTube is, is filling that need. Um, and it's been great because YouTube is a great community and um, I hope that all of your listeners subscribe to our YouTube page. <laughs> um, but I really want, I'm, I'm really, like I said earlier, I think Udi Show has the capability of becoming a lifestyle um, brand for people. So you don't just come to watch the shows, but you can download the music. Maybe you can get some um, printouts or activities that we will offer someday. Um, you can come and meet other families, maybe in your area, and you can get together. I'm trying to do that in my area. I moved from Brooklyn to upstate New York, and there's not a lot of Korean Americans up here. But I found like the 10 of them, and we're trying to do meetups when it's safe. Um, so I hope to be able to become a hub for all Korean Americans or people who will just want to learn more about Korean language and culture and become a meeting place virtually and in person where we can celebrate our language and our culture together. So really, um, it's not just for kids, it's for families and learners of all ages and all levels. And I think that um, there's, it's, a, it's a big open world and we're, I think we're ready to grow and get bigger. Um, I think our biggest challenge right now is getting to the families. I've heard so much amazing feedback from parents that it, this show is working. You know, the kids watch it. They sing the songs to themselves and to other, you know, to their parents. They're, you know, they're reciting the different words and they're really falling in love with the characters um, and the food and all the fun stuff that we do on the show. So when, once it is delivered to the right people, it's, it's very effective and the people and the viewers really love it. So our big challenge right now 
is to getting into more households. How do we reach more Korean Americans that could benefit from Uri Show? Um, that's our big challenge because my background is not in marketing. It's not in PR. <laughs> um, so my board and other viewers are trying to help us do that. But that's our big challenge because we don't have a lot of resources. We don't have the big budget to make those, you know, big campaigns. So it's hard because we're a grassroots organization. Um, and I'm just working with other Korean American parents and trying to get this thing to be bigger and better. No, I think it's really great. Um, I also just have to say you're, uh, you're in it and singing it. <laughs> um, and your high energy, I think, is actually really resonating with little kids as well. Um, I also like the fact, I, even for my four-year-old, I think um, she, she really hates to watch just the Korean, purely Korean shows, even though she can understand some of it. And so to have um, kind of going back to this fluidity of Korean and uh, English going back and forth is so comfortable for her because that's what I speak, right? That's what I speak with my husband. And that's unfortunately, that's how we speak to our child. And so that is our first language, the Konglish. Um, <laughs> and, and to have that on TV or on YouTube to show, um, I think that's very um, impactful for my child. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm a big believer in for us, by us, right? The model that I am basically my own audience, you know, like I'm doing this for my own family. My seven-year-old, I don't know where things went awry, but his Korean is really kind of lacking. Um, so for me, I have to explain things to him in English. I will say a whole bunch of things. I can read a whole book exactly. in Korean and he'll be like, uh, can you explain to me what that, what happened? Mm -hmm. So I really need to marry the English and Korean. And I didn't want to alienate anybody. You know, I was doing a lot of full Korean segments in the beginning. Um, when I first started Woody show and a lot of the kids were like, I don't understand what she's saying. I'm out of here. So we lost a lot of viewers. We had felt a lot of drop off because we were doing pure um. Korean. And in person, that's easier because you have so much more going on. That's more dynamic learning. Mm -hmm that you can get away with that. But on a screen, you really need to yeah. make sure the kids understand what's happening, you know, cause they want to know the story. They want engaged, to be engaged. Yeah. yeah. So I needed to kind of pair both. And of course, you know, the really strict Korean parents are like, I'm out of here. Like I only want to, I only want to listen to Korean for my kids. So you, I, it's hard because you have to find the balance yeah. and it's really an but evolution. But I think you're right, like in person, like the real learning happens in person, but your show, I think, um, gives that platform where kids can feel more familiar, right, and more comfortable, but also the key thing, what you were saying, that um, learning Korean is not shameful or boring or just, um, you know, a very strictly annoying <laughs> In my mind um so you have to especially at this age right like you know we're, we're looking at you know i don't know two to five to six that learning happens when you play in general so what you're doing i think is the right spot on um the real actual learning of the language itself and talking will happen after that yeah and i i wanted to give parents um confidence so that the idea that it's a co-viewing show is important because i want the the parents to be sitting there too. And I do this for my, you know, Caucasian American husband. I want him to sit there with the kids and with me and to learn the songs, to listen to the words, to count, to learn Hangul, you know, all these things. It's important because it gives the parents the tools and the confidence 
to go offline and try more mm-hmm. Korean language at home with the kids. And that's really where the true learning is going to happen. So that piece you said, Nari, um, that piece you said, Nari, about for us bias and just creating it because we need to, like, that's literally the conversation Jay and I had when we, we first, you know, ventured down this path of, of creating this podcast, because it is really the inter community support that's going to help launch it. Right. So what, once it gets out into the universe, of course, you know, uh, other parents, other, you know, people, non-Korean parents who want to teach their kids Korean because for whatever reason, like they're going to come. Right. And I know we have some listeners who are not Korean American parents because they're curious on, on how we do it. And, um, and the truth of it matter, truth, truth, truth of the matter is, is that there's more that unifies us and separates us. And so, um, parenting styles and culture, you could replace Korean with any proud culture out there. And, and still take the, the skills and the frameworks of how we're doing it and, and apply it there. So I, I think it's wonderful because I think for so long, um, and, and particularly in the Korean culture where so much of it is based on deference and order and status and permissioning that you're not allowed to do something unless somebody else asks you to or tells you to, we said F it and said, we're just going to create it. And this, these are our rules because ultimately it's for us. And so I, I think it's wonderful and, you know, all of us need to do it. And, you know, and I want to encourage other people who might be listening, who may want to create this show similar to ours, do it. You want to create a show like Nutty's, do it because we also cannot and should not ever live in this scarcity mindset of there's one already. So I don't want to do it. We need more. And the more there are, the entire pie will grow and just the entire light of, of people um, shining on us. And so I, I think it is so wonderful. As, as we wrap, and we want to be so grateful to you for, for sharing your, your stories with us, Nadi. So uh, you, you shared it before uh, we could ask it. You want people to watch, you want people to share. If there are people in the universe who are in a position to contribute financially and other means uh, so that we can grow the show, you can go to udishow.org and um, participate and, and learn more. What people, you know, what, what can parents, and then we'll make this sort of your, uh, your, your final thoughts here. What, what can parents do at home on the everyday based on the lessons that you've learned, you know, traveling the world, producing, now creating content specifically for our kids? What can we do every day that's not anchored on listening to this show or watching your show where we can really share our language or culture with our kids um, to, to instill that habit and build that muscle? I think the key is to make it fun. And that's always been a driving force for me on Uri Show. I wanted it to be fun and engaging for the kids and for the parents. So whether that's listening to some Korean songs that you guys all can enjoy together, and I know that can be kind of tricky sometimes uh, to find, but music can really unlock language. It's super powerful. And the more you listen to a song, the more you'll learn it. And when you're singing Korean, you're speaking Korean. So I think music is super, super powerful and something that is, for my family, always playing. We're always playing Korean music in the background. And the kids, you'll be surprised. You'll like, they'll be sitting by themselves just singing to themselves in Korean. And it really works. Um, and I think things like food, obviously, Korean food is the best in the world. Um, so <laughs> I think we can unlock culture through things that kids really like, you know, like food. So try different Korean recipes at home, get them cooking, get them interested in um, Korean food and Korean cuisine and, and have fun, you know, eating delicious food together. So I think 
um, whether it's sports or games or stories. It's really about what your kids um, gravitate towards and making it fun for them and for you. Because it's not, it really, at the end of the day, Korean language and culture, it should be celebrated rather than have it being a chore, you know? So I think the, um, the most important thing is to make it as fun as possible and don't, you know, don't beat yourself up if you can't do it, you know, all the time or do it perfectly. I think the pace that you're going, the pace that feels right for you and your family is the right pace. Don't put so much pressure. And I know we all grew up in like a super high pressure <laughs> childhood and work environment in general. I think Korean Americans are such overachievers that they want to like shoot for the stars. And not to say that people shouldn't do that. I mean, I'm sure a lot of, a lot of your viewers are going to do it anyway. But really just go at your own pace, make it fun, make it organic, make it just a part of life and make it super, super, duper, duper fun for the kids. <laughs> Thank you for that. It's I, I think it's Korean, like you started the show with, is who we are. We don't turn off the Korean switch and then turn it off when we go in certain places. Can't change. Well, most people, are, you're not watching this, but you can't change this, right? Can't change the way you look. And as we all sort of, I think I, my friends involved, as you get a little bit older, like the things that you long for in times of, you know, difficult times, like you just like want Korean food, you want Korean things. And whether you had that or not, like, I, I, I you know, I'm not a doctor and we have one here, but like, I, I don't know if it's a DNA thing or some sort of psychological thing where like, you just, you know, long for those things. And, and so I, I think it's now time for us to be really proud and understand that the celebration of Korean culture is not the diminishment of anything else and that these things can coexist and not even coexist that we are trying to live and parent our kids to be Korean American as its own identity and not a combination of Korean and American. And no, there's no textbook for this because we're the first ones, not the first ones, but you know, we're doing it together. And so there's no rules. And so however you think is good, do something to instill a little bit of the culture, food, language, song, love, because there's so many. Yeah. I mean, we're creating, yeah. we're creating, we're writing it. We're writing the book right now. And I think a lot of what we do and what we pass on to our kids, I mean, it's, it's so important because I feel like there is a, there is a chance it could get lost. You know, they might just yeah. become fully American, there's a lot of, you know, like there could be a lot of language loss. There could be a lot of culture loss. Things can get washed into just a gray color that is not interesting. So I think it's really, really important for our generation to, to pass that along to our kids. And I think that though they might think they might not thank us now, but they will thank us when they're older. <laughs> I Which is exactly the same thing our parents said when they I sent know, you to five-hour Korean school. So <laughs> You'll thank me full later. Circle. <laughs> yeah, when I'm like, when I wake up in cold sweats thinking about Korean school, I don't know about that, but you know, I, we, we owe a lot to our parents. Obviously, we went; they, they went through a lot of trouble to get you know. Which, which to is get poetic us where because no parent. Yeah, every, every everything a parent does is in their mind in the best interest of the kid. So. Uh, shout out to our parents. I don't know. My parents probably don't listen to this, but you know, <laughs> if you're listening, komawayo, <laughs> sarangyo, or I, it's it's crazy, right? Because yeah, the tables have turned, and so uh, we're we're doing it in the best way that we think. And I'm sure at some point our kids will have a conversation with their friends thirty years from now, saying, 
I might not, I messed up, man. They didn't know what the hell we were thinking. So anyway, Nari, thank you for creating this. Thank you for all the work that you've put into the universe that have brought so many smiles and tears and laughter moments. Um, you, you've really, um, you know, and, and for all the people who are, are big Anthony fans, there was a Korean woman behind it all telling the story and making sure that it hit the right tones and um, shepherded the conversation. And so uh, to all the creators in, in front and behind the screens, um, again, you're probably hearing this on the 18th, but you know, right now as we sit, this is the week that Minari is coming out. This is the week that Happy Cleaners is coming out. There's so much celebration of Asian Americans and particularly Korean Americans on the big screen. But let's also celebrate the people that are behind the scenes, making sure that the stories that are being told are proper or contextually relevant. And, and just making sure that we are thriving across, you know, both all, all, all the different job descriptions. So, Nari, thank you so much for what you do. Again, it's Uri Show. I will have the links in the show notes, but it's W-O-O-R-I Show. Instagram, YouTube, obviously. Uh, give Nari a follow. Let's support in the work that she does because I would rather support her doing it than to try to make it all myself. And so <laughs> that, that is a really, uh, I hope everybody agrees with me. So uh, thank you so much for joining us today. Stay safe up there in upstate New York. And uh, until the day we can hang out again and have all of our kids play together again, uh, please be safe and be well. Thank you so much for having me. And Happy New Year again. Bye, everyone. Thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of the Korean American Parenting Podcast. I want to thank our guest and for you for joining us today as we share our stories and our perspectives along our own Korean American parenting journeys. Follow us on Instagram and on Facebook at Korean American Parenting. And be sure to check out our website, KoreanAmericanParenting.com, to learn more about the podcast, about us, and about our community. Please take a moment to rate and review this episode if you are listening to us on Apple. And share this episode and this podcast with a friend or two in your life who you think would benefit from listening to us. Thanks again so much for tuning in. We wish you all the health and happiness as we go along our parenting journeys together. And we'll see you next time on the Korean American Parenting Podcast.